we'll get started with the AMA. Um, I think that as probably all of you guys know, the primary focus of this AMA and what I expect to be you know, the focus of most questions from the community is the decision that Umami has made to pause um, further execution on the strategy of the USDC vault, um, at least in its current iteration. Um, obviously, I know this probably comes as a surprise to many of you. Um, it was not a decision that we made lightly. At the same time, it's something that we feel good about in the sense that, you know, as I think anyone who has read the announcement knows, you know, it's the moment we determined internally that we were not happy with the performance of this iteration of the vault's current strategy, particularly with respect to hedging. Um, we immediately have, you know, queued up withdrawals from our GLP and mycelium hedging positions so that all the assets will be in USDC and we will be reimbursing the vault for the very, very modest losses it experienced over the three weeks since launch. Um, for those of you who've been tracking, the initial value of the vault token, which is called GLP USDC, was, of course, equal to one USDC. And the, the goal, the point, um, you know, the underlying vision behind this product was that you know, there would be a gradual accumulation of APR um, with an understanding, of course, that there would be some volatility along the way. But three weeks into the strategy, um, with very large majority of our periods still um, you know, below the value of the original deposits, meaning that one GLP USDC is you know, currently worth about a little bit under 0.99 USDC. Um, and again, most periods have been, you know, to the, to the downside of one USDC. We became convinced that, you know, we're just not satisfied with that level of performance. We would have expected, as I said, some volatility um, with, you know, certain period, you know, certain periods being above one and certain below, but, you know, there should be an observable upward trend. Um, we weren't seeing it. And as I said, the moment we realized that our product was not performing exactly as we promised and exactly as we intended, we made this decision that we're making now. To be very clear, we really respect and value all of our depositors. And for that reason, we are going to be reimbursing the vault so that everyone who has deposited um, ends up back at one USDC um, or slightly higher, but you know we're basically just you know full full reimbursement so that no one comes away from this worse off. Um, and by the way, just on a technical note, we're going to make that reimbursement to the vault, meaning that you know if it, we would advise that you know one just keeps their holds onto their GLP USDC until that reimbursement from our the Umami Treasury has been made to the vault um, because we're not reimbursing individual wallets. But once that's done, um, you know, this is a permissionless vault. So, you know, people are free to withdraw right now or to tee up 
a withdrawal right now, and they're free to do so. You know, as soon as the reimbursement's made, there are not and won't be any restrictions on withdrawals at any point. So, the key points there are that the vault was not performing as expected by the model. As soon as we confirmed that it was not tracking towards the level of performance that we aim for with the strategy, we paused the strategy. Moved. We are in the process right now of moving assets from GLP and from the mycelium hedges back into USDC. We'll reimburse the difference so that the vault, the GLP USDC assets are brought up to one USDC, and then people will be free to permission. Um, so those are sort of the the key points for what we want to share today. There's surely many questions. We want to answer all of them. Um, most cosmic question, of course, is you know what does this mean for Umami? What does this mean for our product strategy? Well, the truth is, you know, if you look at our roadmap, which has been live for some time now um, on our docs, you'll see that we had scheduled um, for Q4 of 2022 plans to launch a V2 of our USDC vault, as well as the BTC and ETH vaults that we've been working on. Um, anyways, so we already you know, had observed that there were improvements that could be made to these vault strategies. We had some questions um, and concerns that we were seeing around the hedging strategy. We knew from the start it was a very complex strategy, um, and there's always inherent execution risk with complexity. So we already had in mind this goal of you know launching these V2 vaults in December or around the, you know, November. Actually, could probably do it in October, but sometime in Q, Q4. Um, and really the only thing that's changed is that now we've decided it's not worth pushing forward with the V1s of these vaults because, you know, if, if they're not, you know, it would be one thing if we you know, we're hitting our targets, but knew that the V2 would be even better. We would be fine with that because people would still be happy with the product performance for V1. But if it's falling below our expectations, let alone if we're seeing more periods than not where people are below one USDC, we're not going to continue with that. We're certainly not going to double down on it with the BTC and ETH vault that are based on the same strategy as the USDC vault. So that's the plan. The plan is basically that, you know, we are going to continue executing on our roadmap, but instead of, you know, front-loading these you know, additional V1 vault launches of BTC and ETH vaults using the same core strategy as the USDC vault, we're going to basically skip ahead and fast-forward to and go straight for the V2s. Um, and honestly, you know, I'll share with those of you who, who are listening who have been with us for a long time. I think a lot of you are people, you know, myself and Prepop, others in the Umami team know well. Um, you know, obviously today is, is heavy for the team, um, but there's also a feeling, I think, of relief and enthusiasm because we know that we can do better than the current vault strategy, you know, once we start accumulating that real-world data. Some of our, you know, things that we were questioning about the strategy were confirmed by the real-world data. Um in fact, it just worked out to be the case that we hit a lot of sort of our worst case tail risk scenarios in the first three weeks of launch. Um, and you know, as soon as we started observing that, you know, we wanted to correct them. But of course, smart contracts are immutable. So you know, 
the only way to correct them would be with a V2 launch. And the good news is that, you know, by real by just committing to pressing pause on the V1 and not doing a V1 BTC and ETH fault, we can accelerate our timeline to build the products that we really want to build. And that's something that we feel really, really optimistic about. Um, again, it's not that the core premise of Umami's product suite has been disproven at all. We just feel that the particular hedging strategies and instruments that we were using um, weren't functioning the way that we had hoped. And that's a correctable error, certainly, in a V2 suite of products. So we'll probably see the V2s sooner now than we would have um, had we chosen to do the V1s first. It's saving all of our depositors the headache of a migration, um, which was something that we've been beginning to plan for. Um, and you know, once we have V2s launched, we'll have superior products that are more scalable. And I think that that's going to intersect very nicely with our long-term strategy. Um, with that, I want to pass the mic to Prepop, who will walk through some of the specific technical factors that played into our decision. Sure. Yeah, thanks, uh, D5, for, for that uh, introduction of the, of the situation. And yeah, I think, you know, it's... Uh, it's a tough decision, you know, and, and, um, it's a tough decision on, on what the best thing to do is. And I absolutely think, um, you know, we're making the best decision here based on, we don't want to, um, you know, continue a vault product that isn't, isn't performing to the expectations that, uh, that we anticipated to. And, um, as Deepa mentioned, you know, we've been, we've been open about, certain the risk certain risks that we identified on a technical level right this is like um this is a dream to work on something like this that's cutting edge right like a permissionless product um that's combining like you know so many components um in a certain way and like i cannot say enough good things about uh the team's ex execution and and work effort and um you know like uh just you know overall level level of effort uh put into this vault and into uh the analysis of of how to improve it and you know steps moving forward for for vault products in the future so just to get into you know some of the details um as you know as depositors have noticed right um we did have an initial hedging error that's you know that's from tail risk right that's a tail risk of um, of having a model uh, in the in the hedging strategy, um, there was uh, and and as you can see, like the the price per share remained kind of stagnant. Um, there was volatility where where we passed over one you know one PPS and then back down and kind of jumping around, but overall stagnant. And um, you know a, a lot of that is how we've detailed in the pricing between we're using a an eight hour SMA short. Um, and a and and the GLP is is a spot price on on the market market volatile asset price movement. So even there, it, it, even there, it becomes a technical challenge because um, to give a price um, on a rebalancing cycle, which we have to match our short allocations to our long allocations, um, you know, uh, leads us to in a point where we have to take a snapshot price per share 
calculation, right? So um, the volatile asset prices will move up or down. If they move, especially a few hours before the vault cycle, that gets locked in while the eight-hour SMA on the perp pools are still, uh, you know, trailing. And so that's, you know, that's kind of what what we saw in the volatility of our of our price per share. And, and you know, as a team, uh, you know, how we track performance, true performance was to run a moving average um, on those cycles, right? To smooth out, it helps, you know, if you if you account five different cycles, then all of a sudden you're accounting for the, the slower, uh, if you think of like a sine wave, the slower drifting um, SMA pricing adjustments and you get a, a glimpse of true performance. And, um, you know, I think there was a moment where we identified, all right, um, you know, this isn't performing as, as expected. We paused deposits and started running analysis, right? And the heavy decision was we decided, um, you know, there's options we could have taken, right? We could have announced that there's an issue in performance and kept it open. Um, or the decision we did make of let's wind it down. Um, and part of the reason we winded it down is because we don't want anybody misled, you know, misled about um, the real performance of this vault, despite you know uh, what our plan was and and what our modeling predicted and and what we saw in some of the closed net tests. And um, of the risks that we we identified, um, a lot of them were surrounding the hedging choice that we went with. And um, you know, hedging has a certain cost embedded to to hedging. And um, sometimes those costs are very upfront. Um, if there's you know a, a minting or or a funding rate, some of those costs. Sometimes those costs are embedded, um, embedded in, and dependent on other things. And um, so you know some of the risks that we identified in our heading that we to have discussed on AMA as I remember you know like it was yesterday going over some of these things um, is uh, how in a perpetual pool there's a there's a balance size to it. Um, and we use that to hedge our long position on on GLP. And the the price, the effective leverage that you get uh, when you make your when the uh, when the market moves your way, right? So when you're going down, the effective leverage depends on the balance of those pools. And so if they're overly balanced on the short side, so market sentiment is short, then your effective leverage going down becomes less. But you're still open to a three x uh, exposure downward exposure when the market moves against you, when it moves up. And so this is something that we identified early on as um, something we did think was achievable to um, keep into an acceptable level, right, to, re to maintain delta neutrality. And I think um, it's been a challenge. Um, obviously, um, there's been market conditions that have given us a good test so we could see uh, some of the difficulties now rather than, um, you know, in the future experience some of these difficulties. But um, essentially, we're trying to align our short positioning exactly to our long, right? To have as minimal delta as possible. Can you guys hear me still? You cut out for maybe two seconds right after you said as minimal delta as possible. Yeah, as minimal delta as possible. And so, um, all right, can you guys hear me now? 
I can now, yeah. Okay, so a minimal delta as possible. And so um, with that, we have to um, essentially plan for changes in expected leverage on the short side, as well as you know continuously align our short and our longs. So this is where, uh, on a technical challenge, became instrumental in the architecture of the vault design, right? Everything from how we handle deposits, deposits become queued, how we handle withdrawals, withdrawals become queued, because we are hard-coded to a um, hour limit, an eight-hour limit, and changing our short allocations. And so, um, the alignment with uh, with that um, on the surface seems very doable, right? We have a model that computes um, the exact hedging ratio based on um, expected skew, how the pool's gonna be changing based on pending commits, how it's gonna be um, affected by, by market volatility, how we're gonna do these things. And the, mar the, the model was um, giving us the, the hedge accurate that we believe to be correct. The only issue is that Again, that's a snapshot, and the model cannot predict how that skew is going to change in the eight hours that we're minting or, or burning, right? And so we've always identified this, but what we saw in reality was this change is much greater than we thought. So if the vault is planning to have a three times leverage down or a 2.8 leverage down, and we mint and, and get GLP allocation for that exact match, what we're seeing is at the end, our effective leverage down changes substantially. Um, and the result, it opens up to, to small amounts of delta, right? And this is uh, leaves us open to, to market movements. And obviously with the way that SKU works, if the SKU is under one when we have delta, then it's gonna be, uh, losses when when the you know there's going to be losses going against us right because we cannot we cannot balance enough um, with the lower with the lower effective leverage on the downside and so um, skew volatility intracycle that means the skew changing when we take a snapshot and we plan and we have limitations of this is as fast as we can change our short allocations to hedge on this cycle for the shortest amount, which is uh, which we move the window, you know, right to um, to the rebalancing cycle in, in the perpetual pools. It's still not enough to align uh, delta neutrality on 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 the underlying GLP movement. Now, um, there's also um, there's also other factors too um, with that, and that being um, you know, the with skew volatility, with skew change or effective change, it becomes um, almost like a hidden risk. And, and you know, we've talked about this before, but seeing such high skew volatility um, made it very apparent that um, the the model is go was going to struggle um, given these conditions. And, you know, the yield that we got was, uh, was right in line. And so if you look at, um, you know, all of the GLP allocations coming in, it was exactly, exactly in line, right? It was great. Um, and then our shorts tracking, you know, the short value was, we were, we were trying to align as most, but it, as a, you know, so some of the issues I described, there was a drift in, um, you know the the delta neutral coverage or or delta hedge coverage um, that would that would lead to asset fluctuations and um, we had back testing as well and of course with with back testing you can you know 
you could try to define a closed system. You can try to define um, all the factors, all the variables that could go into uh, into the strategy. And it's safe to say that um, we didn't account for um, all of the elements that that we're encountering now, Rain. And so, the back testing. Uh, uh, was one of the decisions that we weighed launching versus versus waiting on, and uh, you know I'll just say too, you know we we went through the risks, tried to define them clearly. Mm -hmm. uh, if there was some technical uh, technical thing we could do to overcome those risks, we absolutely went went into it. You know we tried to spend as much time as we can on on strategizing modeling, you know, to the best of our ability, and. Uh, we also had closed net launches, right, which was smaller TVL, but on our closed net testing, we actually had great performance because <laughs> as it so, you know, as it so happens, we didn't experience um, skew volatility uh, like we had with the, the live launch. And so it, it was maybe also a little bit more misleading because the performance was was fantastic in those weeks of closed net te uh, testing. And um, I also want to get into the event that happened um, um, overnight too, which was um, identified as a tail risk, uh, as one of our risks. And that's essentially with the shorts, uh, with the perpetual pools, there can be such an imbalance in the pools. Uh, so many people on the short side that the effective leverage drops so much that you know it's it's way too much of a of a difference to try to overcome and as our model tries to overcome that difference we have to allocate more to the short side of the pool which in fact in fact lowers the skew further so we have to keep adding more which lowers the skew right at at some point and it becomes a snowball effect which dramatically increases the delta market delta that the vault funds are exposed to, right? And with this limitation, we had um, a plan to, excuse me, have a circuit breaker in our in our vault flow. So the, the keeper would identify this and uh, pull out the necessary funds um, of GLP to ensure that whatever cover, effective coverage we did have um, with the shorts at this, uh, you know, severely minimized, like instead of three X leverage down, you might be getting 1.8, which, which we were hitting this morning, right? 1.8 times leverage. Um, so, so, we, so the circuit breaker would effectively pull out the GLP so we could balance it at, a, at an acceptable level. And what happened, um, you know, overnight, like uh, in the wee hours of the morning, uh, US time was that there was a, there was a uh, keeper flow that when we allocated our next occurring funds into the vault. So like I said before, we have to plan nine hours in advance. When we allocated all the, the allocations for nine hours in advance, um, there, was, there was an issue achieving that balance based on the price changes, the sharp price changes that happened in the, the next nine hours. So as a result, there was about six hours before the keeper bot um, could continue kick in and do the circuit breaker. And, you know, this was this event that happened this morning was very eye opening because we had always assumed this is a tail risk, but we didn't think it was very probable that we were going to get to a level of like 0.6 expected Q or, or close to 0.6 expected skew when effective leverage down is so low that it leaves us open to this. So, um, you know, it really took us a moment to, 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 you know, add everything together and think, 
you know, like this, the, the things we identified as issues are showing up, all showing up and sometimes stronger than we anticipated. Um, and so the best course of action, I think, is to, is to pause the current vault in the current state, be very transparent and open about, I'm glad to ask, answer any question that, that holders or depositors might have on this. Um, and move forward with lessons learned um, on on technical implementation strategy side, and you know I could say the team is is very excited, very motivated to get to work on improvement. And you know me personally, and what I like to um, pass down to the team is a continual improvement mindset, right? Of um, always uh, learning from you know learning from everything and uh, moving forward, improving in a in a positive way. So. Yeah. That's kind Thank of a, you so much. You know, really, really consciousness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was a, that was a great explanation, and I think it's always really valuable and, and means a lot to everyone. Um, just to be able to hear from you because you have such a you know clear sort of boots on the ground vision to into the functioning of the vault. Um, one thing you know that I'll just do briefly, sort of before we open up for questions, is. You know, just kind of recap with a few uh, with a few high points because I understand that you know both. Uh, Medium posts that we shared, as well as you know, our explanation, kind of walking through these different things. It's a lot to absorb, and I'm sure there's a few overarching fundamental questions that people have, which is, you know, did you guys anticipate, you know, these issues um, prior to launching the vault, and you know, if not, why? Right? I mean, that's a pretty foundational question because that kind of speaks to. Um, you know, the quality of our process going into this. And, you know, the next question might be, well, you know, if there are things you could have caught that you didn't, what are you going to do differently next time? Right. And I do want to just kind of um, anticipate and head those off. Um, so, you know, just a very high level, we, for full context, you know, we realized over the course of the product development cycle for this uh, V1 strategy that the pools in particular, the perpetual pools, were very complex. So any strategy built around perpetual pools, you know, would rely on, you know, keeper bot and a detailed model, which we did work with on balance. And, you know, there is just inherent execution risk in that. Um, we also did come to realize, you know, as we were very open about, right, we were very open about risks um, pertaining to skew volatility, um, particularly during the initial phase of launch when, the TVL in the pools was lower than hoped. Um, you know, it was very low when we first launched it, and we had some success in scaling both sides of the, the long and the short side of the pools. Um, but you know, we knew that was a risk going into it. We knew that you know, in general, it was impossible to maintain a perfect hedge because you're locked in for you know the duration of a rebalance period on these pools, nine hours. Um, once you commit. And, you know, there's the possibility of volatility and skew um, throughout the entire duration of that time. So, you know, we knew from the beginning that those would be issues. We were very transparent about that. Um, and for those who, you know, would like to, feel free to look at our docs and you can see kind of the outlining of the risks, which we, you know, put in. We also shared the back testing, which also showed, you know, significant volatility. So we were, you know, in in the underlying asset value more than up to and in a couple of cases more than 1.5 percent, you know, to either side um, of of you know one USDC during that initial month of backtesting. So we were prepared for that, um, but you know the backtesting that we did 
still made clear that overall, you know, the benefit of, you know, that ETH APR from GLP accumulating period after period would outpace that noise from volatility. Um, and that was our expectation. So we did everything. Sure, and I'm going to add too, like, uh, you know, uh, all of these products are new, right? All of these products are new, partner products, us, GMX. And um, there's limited backtesting data, right? The, per, yeah. the V2 perpetual pools had only been out uh, for a similar timeline to to our backtesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's true. And there was a limited, um, there was a decent amount of substantial backtesting, except we had to make a essentially up to based on the data that was available because we couldn't necessarily backtest it. And it's worth noting that the particular pool, the eight-hour SMA, um, shortly after we launched, there was some data revealed by Mycelium that also showed the, um, the drag on performance from what they call volatility decay um, on that pool was higher than initially thought. Um, and again, we didn't have we didn't have you know lots of real world data for those pools, so you know we were kind of we we should have you know done our own model of the pool performance instead of relying on an external source, and that's something that again is an example of what we will correct you know in, in future strategies. Um, but you know we we went with the data that was available, and I think that you know we underestimated the uh, volatility decay on the eight hour SMAs. So. You know, I think cosmically the key points here that, you know, are our takeaways. Uh, well, let me f- close out my first thought. So, you know, what we, in, in essence, what we were surprised by since launching the vault was that, you know, just for all practical purposes, the quote unquote cost of hedging on the particular pools that we were using, the eight hour SMAs, was higher than what we had anticipated based on our proprietary models and backtesting. Um, and in some instances, you know, higher than some of the other publicly available data on that particular pool. So that was a surprise for us. Um, and, you know, it's very, to be clear, we're going to really do a very thorough um, postmortem to try and figure out just for our understanding, you know, what, the main contributors were to the cost of hedging. Um, you know, so there might have been some volatility decay going on that we weren't um, modeling for at the time. But on a very practical level, what I know, you know, Prepop, me, you know, Wen Moon, our treasury manager, can all speak to is just mechanically, it is hard to hedge um, the way that we want to hedge when you're dealing with skew volatility, convexity um, on the return profile of those particular pools. Um, when you're locked in for eight hours, every time you place a hedge, um, it simply was a very difficult strategy to execute. And, and a, on a very practical level, the more complex your base products are for strategy, the more potential fail points there are on an execution level, right? And so when we talk about these like keeper bot malfunctions, just as a hypothetical, if we were using, you know, linear um, leverage perp hedges, just for example, um, the, simpli- the relative simplicity of that strategy would mean that we wouldn't have had such complex keeper bots, um, you know, keeper bots with such complex models um, 
that would you know result in potential fail points. The, I mean, we really did live test this very, very rigorously. We spent about three sure, yeah. weeks just live testing it. But the more complex the strategy, you you start to enter into diminishing returns essentially as you try to like troubleshoot every potential fail point. So you know yeah. that was kind of the main takeaway was that we you know the underlying hedging product was just very challenging to use you know effectively um, for the strategy that we were going after. Um, and that's just a valuable lesson for, for us. Um, so in terms and, of and it was something, you know, we did identify and try to make, um, you know, yeah. vast improvements. And we did make vast improvements, you know, based on, on the data and, um, that, you know, that we received. And, um, yeah, ultimately... I want to leave, you know, uh, one comment too before we get into any questions. And you might have an, another final statement, yeah. but um, you know, Umami as a protocol, we want to stay on, you know, the innovative, cutting edge type products, right? We're always going to try to push the boundaries on on what can, we can what we can achieve in a decentralized, transparent way, um, permissionlessly permissionless way. And um, you know, with that, we also want to be very transparent about everything about. Um, you know, if we do have difficulties like right now, we're going to we're going to let you guys know and, and you can follow along with us uh, on the progress. And, uh, you know, I, I want to thank everybody, too, that that's a holder, depositor, uh, stakeholder, anybody in the discord. Um, it's, you know, my favorite community to be in. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, thank you guys for for sticking with us uh, with all this. And, you know, I, I do want to say we'll always put an emphasis, too, on safety and security. and you know. Uh, I, I think it's a positive note that we're here talking about uh, a slight uh, performance uh, issue versus uh, something you know that, yeah. that could be much more catastrophic that we've seen in the DeFi, in DeFi industry as a whole. And uh, I know. we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll never yeah. we'll never point. give up that commitment, right? To to you know safety and security of funds, user funds, um, mm -hmm. and and you know as we push the boundaries, that that will always be forefront in our minds. So. Just wanted to, to end on, on that. That's that a great, great point, Um I was laughing a little bit because it occurred to me, you know, here we are, we're, we're shutting out a vault and we're reimbursing all the depositors with our own funds because of a slightly over 1% loss, um, which hopefully speaks to everyone about our ethos here. Um, and I'm serious about that, right? I mean, I'm, I'm laughing because, of course, in the context of DeFi, right, wouldn't it be nice if people sometimes got reimbursed for 99% losses um, with some projects? But in all seriousness, you know, we we mean what we say, and we're here for the long run. We're already, we had this internal talk before this call, you know, we were saying, well, we know we're going to get a lot of fun. You know, you launch a product, you have to turn it off. Um People, everyone's going to say, "Oh, this disproves real yield. This disproves, you know, that Umami knows what it's doing." Um, people, you know, like to, you know, find things like that with, you know, ambitious new projects. But, you know, we've already basically decided we're just going to we're going to ride that out. We're going to be as transparent as possible, answer every question. We're going to do our own internal postmortem, identify everything we could have done differently, share that publicly, and we're going to use the knowledge we get from that to inform our V two product shipments. And there's really nothing that, you know, is going to stand in the way of us executing on our vision. We still believe that the fundamental, I mean, obviously we still believe, like this hasn't been challenged at all, the fundamental vision of Umami of building, you know, sustainable, you know, products that are based on sustainable yield, you know, targeting the institutional market in a regulatory compliant way with a focus on 
um, you know, true decentralization and permissionlessness, but also scalability for the underlying strategies. You know, that is an extremely compelling strategy. It's a vision that we all believe in, and nothing is you know this for us. When I look at you know all of us collectively as a team, the way that we handled this, the you know I bet Prepop probably hasn't slept you know more than five hours a night since the launch of this vault with the you know he, him him and Wen and others on our team closely monitoring you know performance you know catching every you know little detail of of its vault performance that varied from what we expected um, based on our models. You know we really really focused on this. We really tried to make sure. That you know this product was performing as you know we had projected and anticipated, as we'd communicated. In the moment, we became convinced that this was not something that we could you know fix with just sort of a an upgrade to the existing contract in any way, um, which I can share in a second. But you know, as soon as we realized that, that's when we made this call and we reimburse everyone, and we're just going to move on, you know, towards something better. Um, and what I wanted to briefly mention was we actually had multiple add-on features to this vault, some adjustments to the Keeper uh, models, uh, you know, a new receiver contract for fees that would handle some, you know, modest um, dilution of the value of GLP USDC from from mint and burn fees on GLP. We had a roster of things. Um, we were in talks with Mycelium about temporarily boosting incentives um, of, M- of MYC to the vault. We had a whole roster of things that we knew would significantly improve performance, but our core question is, you know, if we're saying, you know, risk hedge, you know, approximately market neutral, delta neutral exposure, you know, to GLP with an APR in the du- in double digits, if we cannot confidently say yes, we are absolutely on track for that, then we're not going to ask people to deposit with us, um, and we're going to, you know, pause the strategy and build something better that you know does exactly, you know what our vision for the product is. So, you know, I I do hope that, you know, the continued transparency you're going to see will only help build trust. Um, You know, we still have a strong runway. Like, we urgently needed to scale revenue, you know, this month or next, um, you know, to sustain the team. So we're just going to get back to the drawing board and work on the V2s. Um, And so my final point, just to highlight, um, you know, in respect to some concrete takeaways from this current V1 of the vault, um, you know, we we want to really look at different, you know, fundamentally different strategies to achieve the same goal for V2. Um, one idea that's been on our mind that we're all internally really excited about, but just didn't have a chance to build into this current, you know, V1 vault strategy is internal rebalancing with, um, you know, instead of, you know, if you guys have followed us, you know that we planned to use the BTC and ETH vaults as counterparties to the USDC vault um, through the tracer pools as a hedging instrument. But once you have that structure, imagine internalizing the rebalancing mechanism so that we have full control over that, right? And can pass um, value back and forth between BTC, ETH, and stables, you know, as needed, to track, you know, a target performance for each of the, you know, core USDC, BTC, and ETH vaults. Um, you know, that's really exciting to us because we think that we can greatly improve capital efficiency. We can reduce, 
you know, a lot of tail risks associated with external hedges, hugely reduced vault complexity by internalizing most of the functions um, instead of needing to have a keeper bot optimized to another protocol. And we can still use some external hedges as well. But we, you know, now that we've seen the challenges of the specific, you know, eight-hour SMA structure, you know, pool structure, um, you know, Mycelium has said that they have some data that suggests that a 12-hour spot pool might be superior. Likewise, you know, we've been really thinking deeply about what it would look like to use leverage perpetuals, um, you know, for, for as, as a hedge. Um, and again, you know, it all, all of those discussions become somewhat lower stakes if, you know, they are augmenting a strategy that is fundamentally built around internal rebalances between three counterparty vaults. So, you know, I'm sharing, those are concepts, and now that I've shared it, I'm sure other people will try to imitate it, but, um, you know, those are concepts that we've been really delving into, and what we're excited about is that now that we have hit pause on V1, we can get straight into rigorously modeling and backtesting those. Um, and if our target was, you know, end of Q4 to be live with the V2s, well, now we have the opportunity to really, really rigorously test, tweak, live test, you know, improve um, the strategies for the V2 vaults and still deliver them ahead of what we were expecting um, in terms of timing, which ultimately is just better for us because we really would rather be, you know, ambitiously building around a final version of a product without, you know, having to plan for a migration um, a couple months in. So with that, I just want to thank everyone um, who's been with us. We really appreciate people's interest, their commitment. Um, and, you know, we're not, we're not going to, we're not going to let you guys down because we're going to just immediately hit the drawing board and keep working and we're going to succeed. And we're really excited about our future. Thanks guys. Anybody want to ask questions? Gotta be some questions for this one guys. Come on. <laughs> Are there any um, on the Discord? Any questions on the Discord? We're pulling up Cal Crypto now. Do you want to ask a question, Cal? Hey guys, uh, really tough situation. I'm really proud of how you guys are handling this, and I think this is the way to go. To be, you know, <clears throat> safe than sorry. Um, yeah. So just a question though. So the V2 designs you guys talking about is this something which you already were planning? Like I think you touched upon. Um, or is it something you're gonna also, based on current, like what you're finding out the last few days or something, something you have to, just trying to see if you have to go back to the drawing board or is it, mm -hmm. or is it like something? Okay. We'll, we'll work on clarifying that messaging. Yeah. There is no going back to the drawing board. You can check out our roadmap. Mm -hmm. um, and the only difference is right now the roadmap shows, you know, September essentially is our target date for what we call V1. BTC and ETH vaults, which were going to be just you know different deposit tokens, but same core strategy. Um, per, you know, basically you can cross that out, and we will shortly from the docs and look at the next item on the roadmap, which is launching V2s. So that was already in the works, and we're just mm -hmm. going to skip straight to that. Mm -hmm. That's really the only difference. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it was always uh, the, the initial design for V2. Um, 
has you know has been here for a while and uh some of the team uh you know has started uh and and, and you know the the roadmap like you know a, a lot of it comes down to technical bandwidth right of uh allocation of, of devs on what project and and what iteration and current needs and you know we you know we can confidently say the team um when we launched fully expected um, this to be to be the product moving forward, but uh, we had even then identified um, ways to have increased performance, and um, you know also with that ways to uh, to be more composable with the strategy, so it's not locked into only uh, where uh, Tracer as a partner would what chain they would be on. It we would have a lot more control, which uh, which ultimately could give us yeah. a lot more flexibility for, for for similar products. I know you know GMX is already on a chain, so. This was always part of that uh, product roadmap and future. Exactly. Um, Is that helpful? Yeah, it's very helpful. And just a couple more technical questions. So wondering if this specific issue we found out, is it something related to the volume amount we have um, or, and not just the market condition? There is, yeah. So, so in, some, in some regard, okay. because... Um, one of the challenges was the scaling TVL of the, mm -hmm. and, and that's why, you know, that's why we have this limitation. So we set forth a plan of scaling the tracer pool based on skew farming and natural organic growth based on the other side of the pool having favorable odds to enter. Um, but yeah, I mean, as we can see, like there, the limitation could be that, uh, tra you know, the pool of the product, um, you know, didn't have enough interest on the long side mm -hmm. Um, to, you know, to, to basically cover for this. So, so um, a scaling issue in that regard, right? Like right. that, that not, didn't necessarily show up when we ran uh, our, our closed net testing because we weren't really pushing that, um, you know, that, that pool product to, to uh, force growth on it to scale. So, um, but it, it ultimately, you know, we would have found that issue, uh, whether it's three weeks or six months from now, right? Yeah. Uh, depending on, how the market went, there there would have been some cap limitation and scaling, and that's definitely gone into our consideration of the next version is re reducing any reliance on scaling, uh, except for ultimately the source of yield, if possible. Mm -hmm. right. Okay. Okay. So the reason I asked that question is like, is there any still more valuable information we can gather by putting a little bit amount still in these strategies, run it longer to see. Like more data. Mm. So that's why I was asking. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that's a great question. We could experiment with that <clears throat> um, just using our treasury assets, right? Mm. Prepop. But I think that at this point, we're pretty. Mm -hmm. the, here's the thing. Yeah. Um, uh, here's what I'll share. Prepop can give a more eloquent answer on some of these things. But we are already kind of realizing that it's going to be quite challenging to decompose the different drivers mm -hmm. of underperformance, right? So, you know, we know that the pools were not performing the way we wanted these particular pools, but, um, you know, do we know if it was fundamentally more about, you know, volatility decay, right? Sort of drag from rebalances um, between the two sides, or if it was a function of the skew volatility, we can't say for sure. So my, my only point is that if I'm not sure how much we would gain mm -hmm. to inform a future strategy, by just continuing to run live the current vault yeah. because we would get a bundle of data and a lot of it would be about, you know, informed by performance of products that we know we won't use in the future strategy. Okay. And then we'd okay. have to disentangle that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to just, I haven't really 
followed up on the V2 fully, but what I'm hearing is that you may use not just the tracer, the SMA kind of pulse, but also like a, a, a continuous perp kind of, like maybe, to, to, yeah, okay. So, so that's, that part's still in flux, but I think um, the ultimate design, um, you know, the thing that influences it most is to reduce the mm -hmm. amount of external hedging needed by self-isolation self of, of assets, right? So it's, it's more, uh, we're more in control, mm -hmm. right, of, of the allocations and not relying on external because, yeah, with any, well, no matter what we use, there's going to be a funding cost, yeah. right? And if that funding cost gets high enough, then the APR drops low enough and there's an equilibrium, before, you know, but to a point where people want to use a different product or deposit into a different product. And so, um, you know, yeah, we've definitely taken in uh, what we've learned from here and, you know, what we've learned you know, in the process of designing V2 to, 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 yeah. So I, I, I think, you know, I, we don't want to go too, too far into the details, right. Um, yeah. yet until, until we can, but yeah, I think that's the, the main goal is, is, is reducing any external, um, you know, reliance as much as possible. Okay. And I, uh, yeah, fair enough. And I don't think you would like to, we should probably even divulge too much technical detail for a competitive advantage, competitive sure. advantage. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay. Is there any final quick question you wanted? No, or otherwise that's it. We'll... Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. Really appreciate your questions. Thanks yeah. so much. Yeah. Bye. Okay. I was trying to bring on Dio Brands. Um, I'm going to try one more time, sir, to get you up here. Um, in the meantime, you know, there's some questions on AMA questions in chat, but, you know, either Dio, if you did want to ask your question, go ahead and raise your hand. If anyone else here on the spaces wants to ask a question, by all means, um, you know, please. I'm going to you guys have a very nice backdrop yeah. and everything. And I would like to understand, like, what exactly went wrong and um, where it failed, like, I mean, sure. theoretically, everything looks good. <laughs> I would like to understand what, what what went wrong. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great point, and and we do plan on, um, you know, compiling that and and uh, and getting that out. Yeah, we're going to go into much more detail. Um, what we shared now was, you know, literally, you know, these were the the observable, obvious factors that led us to hit pause. Um, today, but that's different from doing, you know, rigorous analysis to really identify root causes and see, we want to make sure that there's also just not maybe some kind of general, you know, features of the performance of these types of products that were somehow overlooked in the original back test. We really want to delve deep. And when we're complete, once we've completed that, we will share that fully with our community. Nice. Thank you. Cool. Um, one thing I keep seeing that I just want to flag for everyone, and we'll keep saying this, if we're going to reimburse the vault, we're first going to withdraw the various vault assets from the mycelium and GLP positions. 
Um, and once that's complete, we will provide reimbursement to the vault. That means that if someone were to tee up their withdrawal now, they could end up withdrawing before the reimbursement's made. We are not reimbursing individual wallets. We're going just to send it straight to the vault. This is not like some kind of trick to keep people in longer. We don't benefit from that. We're returning all the fees that we made and then some to uh, depositors, but it's just obviously easier and fairer to just send it straight to the vault. So just, just uh, hang in there and we will top it up and then people can withdraw. Sure. And, and you know, to, to clarify, when you, when you say withdraw, we mean uh, within the vault, right? So uh, it's an unwind, you know, for, for migration, essentially. So all GLP will be converted to USDC in the vault. All tracer shorts will be converted to USDC in the vault. Then uh, we'll top up the, you know, the needed amount. And then when you go for withdrawals, um, you know, that's the time you'll get the reimbursement from that. Yeah. Um, Prepup, we're getting some questions also about the uh, small amount of risk harbor insurance that, that people did purchasing, about 50K so far. Um, do you have anything you want to say on that topic? Basically, the question would be, you know, is there refunding for insurance? I mean, I think that ultimately that would be a, a risk harbor question, but I think we also want to support our partners' risk harbor. Um, so maybe, maybe the answer is that we're going to talk to risk harbor and figure out how we can be supportive partners for them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're already in touch a little bit, and I think we have a, a plan call um, with them if if they've got um, you know for the details they want to work out. But that's that's definitely something that that we'll bring up in, in the talks and, and try to get an answer for. That's right. Um, the other question I'm seeing in AMA questions in chat is, you know, just a little bit of, you know, does this reflect poorly on GLP as an asset? And uh, short answer is no. That we, nothing that we've seen so far indicates that GLP, the uh, you know underlying yield engine, the liquidity pool to GMX, was in any way underperforming um, relative to our expectations. That said, uh, we do want to just do a deep dive. You know, as part of that postmortem that we've been talking about, we want to model uh, impermanent loss on GLP and make sure that. There wasn't some drag that we were overlooking, but we really don't think that that was uh, the driver. We're pretty confident in that asset. Yeah, and so I, I do want to touch uh, the Treasury Manager uh, when reached out and uh, wants me to make the point for marinated umami holders. Um, you know, if you're if you're worrying about um, revenue, okay. like the the revenue um, that we're paying out. Uh, hasn't been, you know, from the vault mainly as as it hasn't scaled. Uh, when we were below one PPS, we of course did not take uh, performance fees from that. So uh, during this time, everything that we've received this month has been generated from our other sources of yield, right? From uh, our treasury yield, um, which is you know through a similar strategy, right? But actively managed through through GLP yield and other sources. Um, and so those will be still paid out along with the protocol on liquidity, um, the LPs. I can't say enough good things about our uh, treasury management strategy team that, um, you know, really is doing a great job. Uh, you know, if you, if you saw that the treasury has grown um, under their watch uh, greatly and it continues to, to generate great monthly yield, uh, as you can see in the reports and, and a report will come every month on, on that progress. But, um, you know, the, the payouts that we have had are from, you know, these treasury allocations will continue to be at this level. Um, of course, what we'll be missing in the short term is, uh, you know, the growth from, from vaults until we get to the V2 products and get those scaled out. Yeah, that was a good, a good point to flag. Thank you. Pump. Any any final questions? I feel like we've pretty much 
you know, covered all the bases we really wanted to cover. Um, any final questions? Okay. Yeah, there's no now. I, I want to extend, you know, anybody to to reach out in the in the Discord. Um, obviously, mm -hmm. there's people that cannot make this AMA, and I definitely want to make myself available, you know, to answer any questions that that people might have in in any regard. Um, I think it's very important to, to keep that communication open. So, um, if you think of a question later, yeah, feel free to, um, you know, I'm not going to have 24 hour responsiveness in there, but but I will try to to actively answer any questions that people might have on this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're not we're not going anywhere. We're you know just back to work on both you know the successful wind down of this vault, reimbursing the current depositors, and then getting going on the V two faster than expected. So we'll be here. Happy to answer any and all questions along the way, and really look forward to continuing to work with you guys. Thank you. Mm -hmm.